Hello, I'm Dave and I'm the guy that puts this stuff together. When putting this episode together, I was recording the audio from the sound desk, but as you'll hear, I dropped my microphone and lost that sound. However, I did have a backup mic going and that is what you'll hear the audio from today. In some ways, I think that makes it better. You can hear the audience better. You can hear them probably better than you can hear us sometimes. This was a live Getting Better Acquainted recording, so it was on a stage and that stage had quite a lot of electrical equipment on it, which means that there is some hums and some buzzes in the background that you'll have to let your ears get used to as you listen. And also, we're speaking through microphones, so there's plenty of reverb. All that said, I think it's a great conversation, and I hope you enjoy it. Um, so, uh, I should say, uh, this is a, a podcast called Getting Better Acquainted. Uh, who in the audience has listened to Getting Better Acquainted before? Whoa, two. Uh, That's pretty, 50%. Pretty, 50%. It's quite good odds, I quite like that. Um, yeah, so it's a conversation podcast where people talk about their lives with me and I talk about my life with them. It's kind of an exchange type thing. Uh, and it starts with this tune. I want to get better. Please make me better. I want to get better. You've just joined, uh, you've joined a kind of, yeah, small group of people who've had that serenade uh, happen. Sure. Uh, all the live shows I do that, and it's kind of a, a weirdly, it's more intimate than the conversation. <laughs> uh, so yeah, uh, today we're getting better acquainted with James Howington. Hello, James. Hello, how are you doing? I'm all right. Good. Yeah. And we're sort of, we're sat on a boat. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not a real boat. A it's a, boat. A, a, a theatrical boat. An evocative it's a great set yeah. uh, that we're sat in, uh, and we're performing to a, a room of well, four people, uh, all of whom know you personally in some way. Yeah, pretty much. It's yeah. kind of like a weird sort of trial right now. <laughs> uh, like, how? What is the truth? Yeah. Like, people here know, right? This is just a recap. This is kind of interesting. This is, yeah. yeah. So uh, I guess I don't normally get to interview people and then look around the room to see if they're lying. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I'm quite looking yeah. forward to that element uh, of today's show. Fact uh, yeah, stage lights are warmer than I, I remember. Uh-huh. Um, so I'm going to just strip off while talking. But yes, um, so the first question that I ask everyone uh, is, how do you know me? Ah, I, I know you because you, I was going to say run, but used to run stand-up tragedies? I still run it. Good, good, I'm pleased. <laughs> you, you kind of made it sound previously like maybe you weren't going to be running it. I'm, this year, stand-up tragedy is in hiatus. Uh-huh. In 2017, as far as I know at this stage, I'm definitely bringing it back. Good, that's all right. Um, at the moment, I'm still doing stand-up tragedy presents nights, so I've done a couple of nights doing my solo show where I've had another performer do a full show afterwards. Yeah. I'm doing some previews in July. Uh, people can look out for those Stand Up Tragedy website it's www.standuptragedy.co.uk uh, <laughs> listeners are probably regular listeners are pretty bored of me they don't know that sure. already then. Yeah. yeah they should they should <laughs> basically but yes um, so, so stand, stand, stand Up Tragedy Stand Up Tragedy because uh, I, I don't know how you found me via Stand Up Tragedy but obviously my, my sketch group Casual Violence is quite tragic by nature and so you found us I think you were running nights at the Leicester Square Theatre that's right you and were there for the first run you were yeah. one of the actors and I came run. just with one of the other guys yeah. and we did I can't even remember which 
sketches. I think we did like two sketches. We did some brilliant sketches, but I was in that awkward position of having to bring you off because you were overrunning. Oh, that's uh, which was <laughs> true. That's uh, a fairly common occurrence. Yeah, and it, it's, it's yeah. always tricky when it's an act that you really like as well, because no, like, you then feel like you're like, you know, really no, shitting no, on no, your no, gone by without being told on a daily basis <laughs> we're overrunning somewhere so that's okay well that's I mean that, I mean it was it was great to have you at the Leicester Square Theatre I mean that that was the first year I did the show I was finding out if, if it works I was learning yeah. to be a host a much better host now mm-hmm. than I was then it was a really um, cool thing to be invited to do actually because when we saw you were doing it it was the kind of thing that this totally suits the sort of stuff that we do right. it was nice to see a night pop up that kind of encouraged but not, not that it's a comedy night specifically of course because it's got it's more of a yeah, that's thing, but it's that encouraged bleaker stuff and allowed for and would suit a bleak comedy act. Yeah. So um, if you're not bleak, you're out of place. Pretty much. Uh, so we, we fit right in. So yeah. it's a lovely night to do. And since then you have me back um, I, th- I think a few times. I remember doing it once in Edinburgh again. I think it was just me I went and came and did some stuff yeah. and I'm sure there's been at least one other time. Yeah, we had we well oh, you weren't there. Last, but yes, yeah, yeah, last year and, uh, in Edinburgh in Edinburgh last year, yeah. the rest of Casavant's I think for the first time, actually, ever, went and did a full set without me. Right. Which was weird. But I hope it went very well. Yeah, it they did. Were very, I got positive reports coming back. Yeah, no, I mean, the, it, was a great, it was a great hour of uh, comedy. The, the, I mean, it was... Well, you say an hour, which makes it sound like it overran again. No, I'm no, no, sure no, it's no, no. <laughs> it, well, it, was, it was a full hour, like, a, a full Edinburgh hour yeah. of comedy. And that was quite nice, because for the rest of that, you know, I was booking loads of acts. But for that one, I could just mm-hmm. sit back and, and watch... Uh, watch not you, but the rest yeah, of the, the guys. Rest of acquit themselves. Yeah. yeah. So the second question that I ask everybody is, uh, what do you do now? What do I do now? Um, I I am a comedy writer, and it's kind of weird to. It's a weird thing to describe yourself as anyway, because you just feel like you're automatically being smug by saying it, because <laughs> it's a cool job, um, and it's taken a long time for it to legitimately be my job. So it's one of those things where I'd say, oh, I'm a Right, but I don't really mean it because it's not how I'm actually earning any money. Um, but now, but now it is, thankfully, and now I can legitimately say it is my job. Um, and I think it's it's a, it's a weird one to kind of say. Like sometimes I go, I'm a comedy writer and performer, rather than saying I'm a comedian, because even though I do sketch stuff and I've done some solo stuff as well, I don't really consider. It, it, I don't know what how I'm making that distinction in my head between going I'm a comedy performer. Or I'm a comedian, but I don't really see myself as a well. You don't. As a comedian, I mean, so. you don't do stand up as such. No, like your no. solo show is a solo show, so you were on yeah. your own on stage, but that's not the same as stand up. Yeah, basically, yeah. So it's it was very, you know, it was it was a character show with a story and more more like a play, really, in a weird way, but right. very stupid one. <laughs> <laughs> that's a nice way of thinking of, of, of comedy writing. It's a good way of justifying. Yeah, I mean, so yeah, so comedy. Um, so what's it? What's it like being a, a man in comedy? <laughs> <laughs> um, a friend, of, a friend of mine, um, uh, and 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 a friend of at least one audience member here actually described it, put this really well to me recently, um, and it kind of meant it about being a man generally, but I think it also applies <laughs> to to comedy. It's like comedy is like um, so. So being a man in comedy is like doing it on easy mode. I think because you just get given, um, it's just that it's because everything's so kind of horrendously unbalanced. It's so much easier to get work and have attention paid to you if you're a guy and you're doing comedy, and that shouldn't be the case. But it makes things 
like that. I mean, so in that sense, it's a. It's. It, I suppose that's how it feels. It feels like it's not a difficult thing to break into. In that sense, like it feels like anybody can get up and start doing it, and most people do. I mean, it must be. It's, but it must be a little bit kind of complicated because I agree with you. It's easier to do it if you're a man and if you're a white man. I mean, I know a lot of comedians called James. Yeah, there's just a lot enough. of Jameses out there. <laughs> um, but that's the thing about those that statistic that goes around Facebook every so often about it being more CEOs called James than there are women CEOs, and uh, that probably applies to comedy as well. And it's shitty that there aren't the same opportunities and that there aren't the that there isn't the same kind of ease with which people who aren't white guys can get that foothold in comedy. But that is. That's, Sadly, the case. But then I guess it must be complicated though, because even though it is easier if you're a man and if you're a white man and all those things you just said, it's not easy even then, I think. Like you're saying, like you've, you've been working at it for a long time, all of those yeah, things. Yeah, but I'm not saying it's not, not easy. Good at it. <laughs> <laughs> it might just be because it's, I, I think it's easy to get into on a kind of basic level. Like every time, like every so often, you get somebody random emailing you out the blue who kind of was wanting to get into comedy and found you somehow or saw you at a gig and going like, oh, I don't know how to get into comedy. And it feels like it was the most straightforward thing to do for me like when I did it because you just, it feels like common sense to just go, well, if you want to put on comedy, then you write some comedy and then you find a night or you book your own night and then promote that and then do it. Um, it, it doesn't seem that complicated to me. So, so, so kind of getting into comedy and getting to a point... I mean, like everything, you've got to build it and it takes a lot of time to get to a place where um, you can make it a career. But I've been doing comedy for six or seven years and it, did, it only took a year or so for, for my sketch group to kind of be, at least within our hometown, Recognised as a sketch group and like getting people to you know getting audiences, getting people to see us, getting reviews, going to Edinburgh. Like none of those things are complicated. They're only they're only kind of difficult in the sense there's a lot to do. Right. Um, but it's all it's all very kind of straightforward stuff. I think. Yeah. No. I mean, fair enough. <laughs> and, and, and I mean, I, I guess I feel similarly to you. I don't write just comedy, um, and I do think it's easier to to sort of in some ways do it if you're a man. Um, I don't know, I guess I've been doing stuff for a long time in lots of different ways, like different, knocking my head against different brick walls. Yeah. Um, and I, yeah, I, I don't know, it isn't, I don't think it's, I, I, I still think even though it's easy and straightforward, it isn't easy. It just seems like none of the, none of the challenges that I hear other people uh, right. come across in comedy, like um, apply, to, apply to me as a guy, yeah. like, because you know, we just don't come across those kinds of walls and barriers and so right. I mean, there are obviously there are challenges in doing it but the challenges for me are just making it good and, and doing it and the challenges yeah, the challenges the challenges yeah. the craft of it right. not any of the challenges of, of getting up on stage as yourself and or as a character and experiencing any kind of uh, barrier or resentment or or any of those sorts of feelings like that's so in that sense it's it must be very very easy no, I, I, mean, I, I agree with you. I think it's good. I mean, it's not the narrative that comedians tend to, particularly male comedians, tend to <laughs> construct around their lives. Yeah. But, I, I, you know, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, so, yeah, I mean, what do you say to, to people who say that men aren't funny? <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> um, well, I don't... <laughs> um, 
Yeah, so obviously, it's a facetious comment to yeah. a certain extent, so you don't have to answer it. No, it's fair enough. I don't think I can think of something. You can't read the because, because, yeah. because I because I tend to again because I'm not a comedian. Like I can't think of something very witty like that. So I could probably go away and then write something really funny. And yeah, I mean, I, come I, back with good editors. Yeah, I mean, I'd written <laughs> I'd written my line. It's kind of unfair in yeah. a way. Um, but yeah, no, I've, I've just I've, I've I've done a lot of conversations with comedians of late, and I kind of. I've thought about, like, every time I interview a, a woman in comedy, I don't ask them those questions because yeah. they get those questions all the time. Mm -hmm. But it, it just occurred to me today that I, I never ask those questions to men and men yeah. never get those questions. Yeah. So I thought I'd <laughs> try it out, see how it works out. So, yeah, I mean, when did comedy come into your life? Um, I suppose when I was just coming towards the end of, um, coming towards the end of school, I was doing A-level drama and at the time, I mean, I always knew I wanted to be a writer, but I hadn't really found something that I wanted to sink my teeth into. And because, just as it happened when I was doing A-levels, like both for English and obviously drama, there was a lot of plays. So I was quite into the idea of writing plays in general and doing scripts. And I was reading some kind of very darkly funny, like weird plays and we were devising stuff and making stuff. And all of that was starting to appeal to me then. And then at, just as school was coming to an end, in the last sort of few months of my final year. Uh, in my region, there used to be something called the Wisecrackers Comedy Competition, which was just like this young people's thing where they got people to do either five, like basically five minute sets of either stand up or a double act. And our teacher recommended that me and a friend do that together. Um, and so that particular teacher, it's really nice when you can say something really positive about a teacher you went to school with, but he was kind of, and it's, it's very kind of cliche to say, oh, he's, you know, he kind of took us under his wing a bit, but he did, and he really helped, he directed us and mentored us a bit and helped us craft this thing. And I always say, you know, I'm, I was not, didn't pretend to be a stand-up then, in fact, the only time I think I've ever attempted to write stand-up was for that and tried it in front of my teacher, and he basically just went, no, and I went, yeah, I know. <laughs> um, so, we, we did a double act, me and my friend, and my friend uh, at the time was a, well, it wasn't still is, is a, is a drummer, he's a death metal drummer, and he actually drums for a band called Vader, who I remember when we were at school together, he was, he would talk about this band and talk about how much he loved this band, and now he's the drummer of that band, and like he goes, he travels, he literally travels the world all the time, and he's recording their albums, and so he's quite literally got his dream job, which is amazing. But before that, we were playing, you know, tiny rooms together doing things, <laughs> like, trying to build 30 seats. Um, because, yeah, we decided to do this. Because he, was, because he was into his death metal, we came up with this very weird idea that um, I would come on first as a kind of really shitty, old-fashioned, almost sort of 1950s-style um, cabaret compare and like, be trying to tell these really cheesy, shitty jokes. And then... He would hijack the act in like full, like metal gear, like kind of wearing like a fur sort of kiss type face painting on his head. Obviously, his hair was long and loads of spikes, leather, like really kind of went to town on it. And he tried to hijack my act, but he could only talk in like death metal vocals. So I had to translate his jokes for him. And that was basically our act. And we, we had, um, it, was, it was very weird. We had a, everybody who was doing this competition across the region had like a proper comedian. Uh, sort of mentoring them and as their official person to teach them how to do it. And these are all people who, in hindsight, you look back and think, oh, I sort of now know who that person was, but I didn't at the time. We had a guy called Matt Kirshen, who I think does a lot more stuff stateside. Tom, do you know Matt? Uh, 
person. I, I know of him. I, I could yeah, it's just, a, it's just a just a, a short guy who writes gags. Basically, he was like kind of very into his quick fire jokes, and uh, he hated it. He hated everything that we were doing. <laughs> um, my friend, my, my, my death metal friend, had also attempted some stand up uh, at a, like at a previous attempt to do this, and. The thing I remember him saying when he saw the double act was going to my friend and going, what are you doing? I thought your stuff was good. Oh, Which was like, really? <sighs> but we really, really heavily believed in what we were doing. And so we really kind of, in our kind of arrogant way, we were like, no, fuck you, this is great. Um, and so we, we developed it anyway. It's just become into a horrible metaphor for my career now, really, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Up to this point. And so, um, and so we just carried on developing it and, and pushed it through ourselves. And we got through to the final of this competition, but I, I'm obliged to point out that we got through to the final literally by default because other people dropped out. And so we ended up doing this in front of like 300 people at the Corn Exchange in Newbury. Um, and it was awesome fun. And we didn't win, but that made me really want to continue doing comedy. And then I got to university, um, having no idea that you could actually write sketches and then actually and book a theatre and put them on. All, all those things that I said are incredibly obvious now. I suppose when I, before I went to university, I didn't realise, so hang on, you can, you can just book a theatre or book a space and write stuff, and that's, that's all you have to do. That's so easy. And... So I, it turned out that that friend I was working with ended up coming to Brighton a year later to, to study as well. And so I effectively waited for him <laughs> for a year. And I was writing all that year. And then when he turned up, I was like, so I've written, I've written some sketches. <laughs> and I'd really like to do a show. And, and so we decided to do this show together um, where I kind of did about... He, he's not much of a writer himself, but he kind of... He, there's that... There's that cliche about some comedy writing teams where like one person does like the bulk of the writing and then one person sits there and says nothing for like nine you know 90% of the time and then we'll have this one amazing idea that was basically him so he had these incredible ideas but never literally wrote down a word at all um, <laughs> uh, so we did this together and we, we did we made this sketch show with the idea being that if it went well we would continue and if it didn't, then we'd stop. And then thankfully it did. We sold out the show and got like, a good review and it was all fine. So that was kind of the first iteration of casual violence. And we sort of ended up calling it casual violence about a month or so later. And for a while, he was like the absent father of casual violence. Like he wasn't really involved. He focused on, the, on his drumming. He'd, he'd, he was an absent father in the sense that he'd basically turn up for Easter and Christmas, except instead of presents, he'd have like a good idea <laughs> and then he'd go off again and do his own thing and so he'd occasionally contribute that way for like the next sort of year or so and he's just gone off to play to thousands of people at a time and I'm still playing to 40 to 50 if I can get them yeah it's hard to see why you, why you made that choice yeah I know <laughs> <laughs> but I mean yeah I mean, so I mean that's when comedy started I mean what about yeah. writing I mean like because like what you, you I guess before before comedy, probably you were writing. Yeah, yeah, much earlier. Well, there's no, um, there's nothing particular of note really to say there. Like I always like writing stories. I have sense I think I knew from quite young I wanted to be a writer. And my mum, being like a, a wonderful woman, but like incredibly, uh, incredibly enthusiastic and very supportive, but supportive to the point where I showed an inkling of being to write, being a writer as a kid. She was like, right. So like here's here's all the books I'm gonna like and I'm gonna encourage it. You are gonna be a writer. I'm gonna really help you achieve that and encourage it. And um, 
so that was I feel like that was locked in quite early mm. for me and um, so I used to really write stories and I think it's just it's it's the case isn't it that you sort of write what you consume and obviously I didn't really know that scripts were a thing or that you could write in that way when I was little so I used to write short stories and they were just based on based vaguely on people that I knew but kind of not really and I you know, in that '90s way, I'd write them in an exercise book. Um, <laughs> like, you, know, uh, you know, being cool with diagrams and everything as well. Mm. Um, yeah, really, really went for it. Um, so yeah, I used to sort of write stories, and then, for, and then for my teenage years, when I sort of stopped doing the stories between before between doing comedy and script writing and writing uh, stories as a child. Uh, I got really heavily into, this is so embarrassing, but I got really heavily into video games journalism and I decided that was what I wanted to be because I was a massive Nintendo nerd and I loved like N64 magazine which then became NGC and I wrote for like a Nintendo fan website and like that was what I was convinced, I mean in my ignorance I was convinced it was a viable career at all and it's the kind of thing that we now know is, is especially with almost every magazine dead that is obviously not the case but I loved the writing in those things because they made it really kind of witty and really funny and really accessible and it and especially in that magazine like it felt like it's the kind of writing that people would really enjoy on the internet now and the kind of that sense of a community right. that you that people like about the internet and the, I got all of that from <laughs> from N64 magazine uh, the unofficial Nintendo mag and uh, <laughs> so that is that is what I wanted to do pretty much between the ages of about 13 and 17 and that is what I spent a huge amount of my time doing. I mean I, I, I played a lot of N64 between those years but I wasn't writing about it. I mean if I could have kind of signed it off as <laughs> research I guess I, I would have been more productive in, in that yeah. Well I think that was, that was probably, I mean that, that particular time when I was growing up was, was, it was the last of many things in that sense but it was certainly the last time writing for a magazine was definitely a viable job and so not knowing any better that is what I thought yeah, I thought, cool, that's really fun. I'd like to do that. I would like to get paid to write about video games. Right. Awesome. Yeah, so that is... Well, it was, I mean, you write to say it's the last as well because it was the last cartridge game. So, I mean, like, mm. I mean, I wrote a, a song about the last platform game character as the dust slowly fills the cartridge yeah. and, it, and it, everything glitches. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, that, 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 I think, you know, I, I feel sorry for people now that they're never going to get to experience what playing an N64 yeah. was like, in a way. Yeah. Although they get, they've got much better stuff, let's face it. So yeah. I guess they don't really care. <laughs> That's true, I don't think you miss it. But the nice thing about Nintendo as well is Nintendo has always been the underdog of like video games companies. So they've always been the one that, like, they have a really strong community around them because they just, especially pretty much since. Did you have a GameCube? I didn't, I didn't oh, do well, that. N64 GameCube didn't do that well, like compared to the PlayStation and Xbox, but everybody who had a GameCube really rallied around it. It was like, come on, no, it's brilliant. You're wrong. Look how small the discs are. And it didn't matter, none of it. <laughs> it was really stupid. Um, but that's, I think that's what I quite liked about it, was that kind of sense of even... Yeah, community's a bit of a weird word to say when it's, it, it's, it's almost pre-internet, but it's all like early days internet at least. But that's, I think, what I tapped into about it and what I quite liked. Yeah, I mean, in a way, it makes sense that the, at least communities at that point 
online will have been much kind of more more supportive environments is as things get bigger yeah that you kind of get of course because they've got so much smaller yeah as well uh, i should actually say i mean to people who listen listen at home i mean i feel like saying that you used to do video games journalism like it, it now is it, it is is marred unfortunately by our modern co- uh, connotations, oh, yes. right? Oh, God, like yeah. now we think like video games journalism. What about the ethics? But those aren't video games. Right? Yeah. Ethics in video games journalism. I mean, was that was that, was that video games? I, I didn't find that <laughs> too closely because I just sort of took one look at it and went, I want nothing to do with this at all. But isn't that was it? Video games journalists who were being asked, or was it just? No, 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 no. It was not. It, it was. It, it was. It was. It was the fans. Wasn't it, it was it? fans it was being asked to female to, to female video games journalists. Video games. Yeah. So they were doing it because of ethics within video games journalism. That is there. That is not why they were doing it. They were doing it because they're misogynists. Yeah. Uh, to be <laughs> clear, uh, where yeah. I stand on that one. But just, um, that was their official. That is their. It still is their official uh, reason for being absolute uh, impossible. It's horrible really, people. It's really tragic that the video games industry is 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 bigger than the film industry, and yet is so regressive, um, and is so full of. Man boys, like right. re- horribly regressed man boys. Um, it's it's such a shame because like not all, again like not all video games are like that and like there's so much like wonderful diverse unique stuff being made Absolutely. all the time. But then Call of Duty makes more than any film, and and therefore that that's kind of what what dominates it. Yeah, I mean that's the world. That's the world we live that's in. The world we live in. But, I mean, but yeah, I mean, what about the darkness though in what you do? Like, <laughs> so you know, like, where, where did that come from? I mean, did it come <laughs> from something, or did it, was it your influence? Well, I mean, I, I was little. <laughs> uh, no, nowhere at all. I think kind of the only probably the only reason it happened is because the opposite was true. Because actually, I had, um, like, I wouldn't I wouldn't say I had a perfect childhood, but I had a very privileged childhood and a very comfortable childhood, and. I think probably in that sense, it's it's kind of like anything. It's the idea that if, you, if you've got, it's, it's the same for wanting a career in this sort of thing now. Like it just comes with a certain degree of privilege, unfortunately. And even you know to do things at, at our level, or even to do things then, just the kind of thing. Right? Um, if you are given the facility to use your imagination and put that to use in a certain way, then you'll make stuff. And so. That's I think that's why I was able to do that. In terms of the darkness specifically, I I think it's just my sense of humour. Like people people get I've had that question before yeah. where people go like you know oh so yeah either what what happened to you it was like a joke or like um, people go like you seem you seem well like commonly it's like you seem really normal and like really sort of straight laced and yeah all your stuff's really fucking dark and horrible. Uh, well um, it is but it's it's only because that's what I find funny. Yeah, it's funny funny Um, as well. I mean, I hasten to add, it is funny darkness. Uh, And I I mean, I used to make comedy uh, when I was at university. I used to do radio comedy, and it was dark and twisted. And Mm -hmm. like, uh, so I have a lot of aesthetic like uh, connection with what what you guys do. But where you guys are better than what anything we did is that you know where to draw the line. We really didn't. We didn't either. We we (laughs) didn't either. When we started out, we I mean, we made some horrendously offensive stuff. (laughs) <laughs> stuff stuff that I'm not willing to talk about. Yeah, yeah, because me I too. I have that I, kind of material yeah. where no, um, now my, like my understanding say, oh, of the world like, now, I, I'm like, I hate that person who was then. Yeah. But then, you know, I can't hate that person completely though because that person was trying those things out and yeah. learned. And I'm so glad that the internet is <laughs> not as it is now so yeah. that stuff can be forgotten about. Mm. Uh, and I can make that learning like, I'm very, know, off stage. I'm very anti the kind of like 
cruder comedy now in that sense and like casual violence for the last few years has not really done a lot that's kind of particularly crude or vulgar or sexual right. it can be very dark but like it's not going down those sorts of paths um, and I I think it's yeah at the time when we were students we were doing that all the time but I think what ended up putting me on the path casual violence now has is I remember quite early on like just in the odd sketch from the first stuff we were doing in fact I remember very specifically a friend of mine going is it is it weird that I feel felt really sorry for that guy I was like yes it is yeah <laughs> but, I, but I like that I like yeah. that somebody felt a bit of sympathy or, or, or at least pity right. for a character and, and that was like pretty much from that point I increasingly tried to to bring that out because I think that, that became more interesting and that idea of taking something that can be very monstrous or dark and then finding something that kind of humanises them right. and to the audience and valuing that idea of, of an oh noise being as, as good or better than a laugh yeah. um, and then going to see a lot of stuff in Edinburgh where a lot of it's kind of got a very I know a lot of people anybody I know who, who, who's kind of good at sketch is, is a snob at that sketch and, I, and there's, there's, there's so much sketch out there which even, even some of the really good stuff is a bit fast foody and like you watch it and you laugh for an hour and you have a great time and you come out and you can you, half an hour later you can't remember like 80% of that material like right. it becomes very forgettable and I, I ever since around 2011 when Casual Ones really started taking off I've always kind of believed in the idea that if you can create that comedy that has a bit more of that emotional impact people will remember it they right. will really stick with them and that's absolutely the kind of comedy that I want to be making I think that's the kind of comedy I relate to the most and I want to see the most and I get the most out of well, that emotional impact is definitely the thing that like, kind of drew me to what you guys were doing. And when I've seen you on, like, do your stuff on stage uh, as a group, I mean, and, and it's not just the, it's not just the uh, character stuff that you do where you provide a lot of sympathy and like different twists on things, which yeah. I enjoy. It's also, you, you're also doing stuff to do with narrative, I think, that's yeah. very interesting. It's not just sketch comedy. Well, I don't want to dismiss sketch no, comedy, no. because sketch comedy <laughs> is a thing in its own no, right. We've we been like that as well, more. because uh, we, even when the first year we went up, we were very much like, right, well, sketch shows are, are 10 a penny. Um, and that was then, 2009, oh, 2010, so, you know, it's, it's, it's tripled since. But we, so we always thought, right, we're going to do narrative, we're going to do something different, we have to present something that is, um, that has a bit of, that is distinctive in some way. Um, to, to varying results, I think, because sometimes I think the downside of doing that is if you try and do something that is a bit more ambitious or weird or structurally odd, is that people don't always click with it. People don't really know what they're getting into. Especially if they go see, oh, casual, we were really careful with our marketing and didn't try and go, hey, we're a knockabout sketch troupe of lads. But then sometimes people do think that. They just look at yeah. the word sketch or they look at the name casual violence and they think, they, they get a they, they get something like a gimp fight, I suppose, right. at um, Stand-up tragedy has a very similar thing where yeah. people assume it's going to be hilarious because it's got stand-up in it. But yeah. yeah, they just ignore the tragedy part. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> we, we, especially earlier on, like in, in, in the first couple of years, we'd definitely get audiences where people just, maybe it just wasn't what they were expecting and just weren't quite on board with it. And when we try and do something narratively that's we're, we're trying to play a longer game and make those payoffs really satisfying, um, I mean, but part of it was a learning curve because you think, oh, well, we've got something, we're going to set up something here at the beginning, and the payoff was amazing. 
And it, no matter how good that payoff was, if there wasn't enough of a payoff in that beginning, that didn't quite justify it maybe, and so sometimes people switched off a little bit or weren't quite on board. Um, so it's a really, I think the stuff that makes casual violence interesting and the stuff that has made the stuff I write interesting for, for, for in, the, in the live sense has also held us back because I think it's made us a less accessible group. Yeah, but I mean, in a, in a way, I mean, when, when you've described your life <clears throat> as being one of, of quite a lot of privilege, and as you say, it's easier for a white man to, to make comedy, then, you know, arguably, it's it's much more valuable for you to then put some obstacles in your way <laughs> uh, so that you can actually, yeah, you know, even, develop something that's great rather example. than just do the same old, same old. I mean, I think, you know, yes, yeah. you may have a less financially lucrative life. Yeah. Uh, yes, you may... You know, but but there's, there's value to male guilt and, <laughs> uh, and do that instead. Um, that won't sell as well. <laughs> <laughs> no, it won't. Um, not that we're selling that well anyway. Um, but that's the thing. That's 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 always kind of been the trade-off, I think, for us. And it's it's a shame because we wanted to do stuff that, like, like I say, that if you really get into it and you can click with it, the people who like casual violence um, love us, and that's yeah. correct. But then equally, we're an act that. We were never like a hot new act where everybody was like, you've got to go see these guys in the next Games Family Gift Shop or Lazy Susan or whoever. Um, both of whom are great actors, incidentally, but like, you know, just to say that like, they came in and, and nailed it straight away. Right. Um, but then equally, we never quite earned like top dog veteran status either. So we sort of caught, you know, we never at the level of uh, Penny Dreadfuls or Pappy. So we were kind of at the, in this weird middle groundy place where we, we've never had like a promoter behind us, we've never had any kind of uh, formal management as a group, like everything's just, everything we've done for five years together or more has been off our own backs. But there's still time, um, I mean there's only five years. I don't think there is, to be right, honest, okay. I think, I, 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 like... Exclusive. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, 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 we, we've been talking about this a lot of casual minds lately, right. and, and it's, if we, well, either of those two things I mentioned, like if, we, if we'd become that, if we were that hot new act to begin yeah. with, then maybe. And uh, if we were like the well-respected veterans, then maybe. But we're not. <laughs> you can't get to the veterans unless you go a few more years. But we're only veterans in the sense that we've just been staggering on like relentlessly um, ever since. But we casual violence isn't, isn't ending. But we've had a lot of talks about this, and we I suppose we don't see the value in going back to. Edinburgh. Yeah. Because, yeah. Well, let's not even that's talk a, about monetary value because, <laughs> because who does? But we, so we basically, we all, we all love what we're doing. I think that Casual Minds is working together better than it ever has. And so we all are very keen to keep working together. Um, but if we, if we went up to Edinburgh, at best case scenario, we would have a really lovely time. We'd sell out. We'd get more fans. That's it. And while that's all very nice, it doesn't justify the time and expense yeah. that it would take to make an Edinburgh show. And the thing that's been really fucking me off um, over the last couple of years, and part of my big reason for not doing Edinburgh is, as I say, said at the beginning, really, I want to be a writer. Like, I'm, I'm a comedy writer, that's what I want to do. Sketch groups do not make a living. Like, that is, you can't make a living from being a sketch group. Sadly, doesn't exist. And I had so many meetings with producers um, after Edinburgh where they've seen the show and they've gone, right, so I really, you know, I really loved your show, I thought it was really well written, I thought it was really well performed, and um, well, it was lovely meeting you, and uh, so if you've got any TV scripts or anything like that, 
well, no, we don't, because we, the reason our show was good is because we spent a year working on it. Right. And after Edinburgh last year, and with the solo show, I had a, very, a meeting like that. And I was really honest with the producer, and I said, well, I'm thinking of not going to Edinburgh next year, because I've had this sort of meeting quite a lot, and I actually want to be developing TV stuff, radio stuff, and the sorts of stuff that would work for there. And but obviously, I'm a little worried about not doing Edinburgh. And he said, completely innocently, well, ideally, it's best if you can do both, if you can. You can't. You can't. You can't. That's not a thing. You There's can do. only so much privilege. Yeah. To buy <laughs> yeah. That's 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 a level of privilege that that, that is even even in sketch comedy yeah. rare. So you have, to have uh, a lot of money to be yeah. able to spend all your time doing things that don't make any. Pretty much. <laughs> yes. Exactly. So so what were we doing? You were doing sketch comedy. Uh, I well I yeah we I mean we did, we did a, we were called the Trailing Edge. Uh, we were. Uh, we did a lot of kind of uh, political, like we we were like a, a radio version of South Park, right? Uh, but with like more brutal. <laughs> <laughs> Which nowadays, you know, people might think of South Park and think, how can you how can you get more brutal than that? Yeah, it was more brutal yeah. than that. So yeah. that's how bad a person I used to be. Um, <laughs> but I mean, we shot all sides yeah. at least. Yeah. But we did shoot. Well, that's good. We, we shot. The all sides. Yeah. You should only really shoot up. So you went for very topical stuff then. You kind of. Uh, no, well, we would like a, we kind of created a horrible, uh, cartoonish world of like you know, pain and suffering. Which yeah. was hilarious. Yeah. Um, and it was kind of topical. I mean, you know, things like a character called. I'm 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 trying to work out what's the most okay stuff to mention. <laughs> uh, but then we had a character called Bob Sodoff who solved the Middle East kind of peace is, uh, issues and stuff like that. Uh, yeah. He was like based on Bob Geldof. He was like being a, a dick all yeah. around the world uh, sort of thing um, but I mean I'm not I mean certainly if I, if we, if I was to stand trial for, for, for Trading Edge I mean I would plead uh, absolutely guilty uh, please uh, throw the book at me so I mean I'm, I'm very much no longer uh, in that place mm. but I mean like that said, I mean, I, I have continued to write. I've continued yeah. to write stuff that sometimes I think is funny. Um, and so comedy is still a part of my life. And I book com- comedy now. Yeah. So I have that kind of thing. Um, why did you turn the tables on me? I'm trying to work out what you're trying to avoid. <laughs> um, but, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I mean, I guess that's, that's where we were kind of going. Like, talking about, like, <clears throat> so I'm not going to Edinburgh this year yeah. either. And part of the reason is for a similar reason. Like I wanna, I wanna make some stuff yeah. uh, for other mediums, mm. and you can't do both. So Absolutely. I can't make another show and make a new podcast drama. Yeah. So I'm making a new podcast drama, uh, which is coming out in the autumn. Go <laughs> to here first. Um, and on what website will that be downloadable from? Oh, well, that would be. Uh, that'll be uh, I mean, that will be through iTunes or any podcast place that you go to to find yeah. podcasts. Yeah. There will be. Like, there will be a website. There, yeah, but somebody might be listening to this. Well, the website will be there next Years month, now, and it'll be the Family Tree Podcast. We have. We have in the podcast. Like we have in the uh, the. the you might want a podcast. We're having the website designed at, at the moment, which makes us, it sound like we're super rich, but we're not. Um, but we are having a website designed. I mean, it's nice when other people do some stuff for you. I mean, I do mostly everything myself, and yeah. my work suffers for that. Yes. Like, I'm not good at everything. No, I'm just good at mine, something. I, similar thing here, yeah. So you're, but you're also, you're, you're taking Edinburgh out, so what are you doing instead of that? Um, well, I am, um, part, again, part of the reason for not doing Edinburgh is that actually I, because I um, am doing comedy writing as, as pretty much my full-time job now, part of me feels like, well, 
then what are you going back to Edinburgh for? Like surely, surely the whole point of going was so that you can get that next yeah. sort of step, and then if you have that step, what's what's the reason? Um, so instead of Edinburgh, aside from aside from doing that, I am uh, mainly doing podcasts as well because. It's a fun medium, isn't it? And like everybody seems to be getting on it. And like I, <laughs> yeah. Um, but some of us veterans have been around yes. a long time. Um, but, yeah. <laughs> but, no but, it's, but it's a fascinating medium. And and so there, uh, there's a few things that that I've been wanting to develop for a while and just not been able to give the full attention to. And um, I thought I basically thought, well, if I'm good, then this year's this year's the time to do that. And the, the first one of those is is. Um, something that I thought we were going to be first out the bat on and this is a testament to how long this project's been in development because there's a casual violence character um, which you've probably seen Hector, the guy with the turnkey in his chest uh, with the Museum of Outdated Technology yes, indeed. winding himself back up so uh, me and, and, and the quarter of the audience are writing, <laughs> uh, are, <laughs> um, are writing a, a podcast sitcom about him and so it's very um, it's it's kind of it's got that tone that kind of started in the casual violence stuff. I think it has a very similar sort of flavour. Like it's very, yeah, it's very kind of dark in that sort of way and very like surreal, but not surreal in the kind of boosh over the top way. It's kind of it's it's a bit more grounded than that. Sort of sits somewhere. In, I'm not even sure what you you call it, but it, it has, at the very least, it, it it has DNA in common with casual violence. And I remember being really excited. Um, Going up to going to going to Mr. Huntrod's sat over there. It's just weird talking about him when he's literally there, <laughs> and also because he's called James. But yeah, just you are both called James. But uh, James H as well, which makes our work emails very confusing. Lots of Jameses. Yeah. Um, but I remember, I remember having a phone call. We, we were originally invited for Radio Four, or trying to pitch for Radio Four, and it didn't go anywhere. And and so I had the idea of doing it as a podcast sitcom. And I remember having a phone conversation. Telling, telling you, I must say, telling you about that, telling James about it, and going, um, oh, but this is brilliant. Nobody's done it. Nobody's done it. They have stuff in America. They don't have it here. Brilliant. And we took so long that Wooden Overcoats came out <laughs> <laughs> and beat us to it. Which, 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 which in hindsight, <laughs> which in which in hindsight, I am totally delighted happened yeah. because, like, aside from the fact it's a brilliant show. It, um, it, re- it, it paved the way and proved that it can be done. The more and podcasts there are, the more people know about podcasts. Yes, exactly. And like the fact, and it's, it's making a it, Wooden Overcoats was, was doing that thing that, I, that we, we never got around to doing and doing it in a much more accomplished way than we would have done, um, which is proving that you can do a, a British podcast sitcom in that way with that kind of sensibility and it would work. Um, a very very weird thing is is that I'm I'm pretty sure, despite that, like it's I mean the two things are very very dissimilar in tone, but the pitches to them sound incredibly similar, like with like some minor tweaks. <laughs> um, so um, so I, I remember uh, we, like we actually we've been doing some work with Wooden Overheads as well. We're writing on the James and I are writing on the second series of it, and just I remember talking about it, and we're working with one of the producers on it as well, and. People hearing the pitch for Hector versus the Future and thinking it was really like that's a bit too similar. Like, I'm pretty sure we had like the absurd thing is we had an idea first, we've just been sitting on it for such a long time. But also the shows are, are, are genuinely like I think that's pretty much where the similarity ends. They're both basically about effectively about rival business owners 
uh, one of whose business is failing and one of them is incredibly successful uh, and they're trying to outdo each other and that is effectively where the similarities end but that is that's the lead line for both. I mean, it's pretty much <laughs> one of the basic plots, though, isn't it? Yes. That's, that's the Trojan War. Yeah, you know, pretty that's much. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, you, you, when, when, when plots are similar, I mean, it's really about the execution. You can give ten people the same, exactly the same plot yeah. and they will make ten completely different things. Yeah. Uh, if you're lucky. Yes. Uh, or they'll all have watched the same TV show and make ten derivative yeah. things. Uh, but, you know. Yeah, so that's, so, that's, <laughs> so that's the first one. So that's, that's yeah, Hector versus the Future, which is about that, that guy, the, the, the clockwork curator of a museum of old-fashioned technology called yeah. the Obsoletium. And uh, he finds out his, his museum's closing down and he's trying everything he can to try and keep it open. And uh, meanwhile, across the street, you have the up-to-date where everything's touchscreens and lasers and, and like, incredibly futuristic. And they're trying to stay ahead of the curve. The whole time, and the thing that we have been trying to do from the beginning, and the thing that I think is unusual about the show but quite interesting, is that normally you make those plots quite heavily intersect, and you kind of go, "Oh, so they each have a solution to each other's problem," uh, but they'll find it and they'll work it out, and that's how they'll solve their problem of the week. Um, whereas part of the key thing in in the, in the core of this idea was that. They'll never do that. Like, I mean, I was really keen that each of them had the solution to the other's problem, but then never interacted at any point. So actually, we have two parallel storylines where they don't connect really ever in the first series, um, and it's a very, very deliberate choice because we really wanted to play the irony of each of them is going to have a solution to the other's problem, but they're just going to keep it and they're going to both fail because nice. because that's. Because that's funnier. Well, it's to more me. realistic. Yeah. So, so I yeah, pretty much. Yeah, pretty much. So I so uh, that's as I said. I mean, that was a that was a character that got written in in 2012, and then I, I worked up like a very early like I don't know what you call it like outline treatment sort of thing. We're um, basically kind of going here's the you know these settings, these characters, this beginning, this ending, and took it to James, who I met on a writing. That we both did together, um, and that's how we, we ended up pushing that instead. And it's, it's, it's we've set ourselves the rather gargantuan thing doing seven episodes, none, not all of which are finished uh, at the time of recording. But it is a it's a privilege to work with. It's a privilege to work. It's a privilege to work with you, James, because you're, 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 you're a damn good lad. And. Uh, <laughs> um, no, but seriously, I've known him for such a long time, and, and he's, he's genuinely one of my closest friends. So it's really nice to be able to work you. with him on this project, <laughs> and, like, and also to be able to work with a cast that are like, and also, like, so it's really, yeah, it's really lovely to be able to work with him on it and be able to give. It's one of the first times I've, I've given one of my ideas to somebody else to properly co-write with, and right. he's done an amazing job, and it was really nice to to have a partnership like that work, and also. You know, we've got a really lovely cast who are doing an amazing job with it as well, so that's all fun, that's all kind of ticking along. And then I'm doing a horror comedy anthology series with, uh, with Mary Beth Morosa, who does quite theatrical horror shows. Um, so there's a, probably a Venn diagram of crossover audience for theatrical gothic horror and casual violence. And are both, um, those, both of those going to have, are they li their live audiences? No, the Truncated, the, the Truncated Nightmare Hour, which is the uh, podcast anthology, will be studio recordings but we're, oh. going to probably, we're going to tie in some live nights as well right. and just to kind of to, to make it more of a crossover type experience right well that's I mean that's cool I, I like more podcasts on the blog <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm happy about it and also I'm happy that 
I guess the year I'm doing a kind of podcast drama is the year that everybody else is doing kind of narrative stuff in yeah. podcasts. Uh, that's good, I think, uh, for everybody. Um, but I'm glad I'm doing a drama, not a comedy, because there's less competition. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you know, yes. but but you know, similarly to you, you know, I, I intended to do a podcast drama for you. In fact, I did. I mean, I, I, I was nominated for a Sony Award ages and ages ago, uh, a Sony Radio Award for a podcast uh, drama. Uh, but then, you know. Life went on. I forgot all about podcasts. Even I didn't even know what podcasts were when I made that. Someone just said, "Write a radio show for me. It will go out on the internet." And I was like, "Yeah." Yeah. Um, but uh, but 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 I've waited so long, and there's loads of dramas out there now. Yeah. And we're not the only drama. But that's so exciting. <laughs> it's kind of it's exciting, but also the the fact that so much stuff, the stuff, the fact that stuff that like Hector and, and wooden overcoats. And and all the things that are being made, and not, in fact, not just here, but in fact, well, let's, let's stick with the stuff that's here. The stuff that's being made here, yeah, is while it's great that that's happening, and and it's really encouraging that it's happening. The reason it is happening at all is because it's not being made by the people who ought to be making it. Yes, and that is really, and that's really depressing, and it's and and that applies beyond audio stuff um, to to like all the all the kind of web stuff and and our. Like this is to use the word generation makes it sound like it affects everybody, but our generation, like our little generation of niche comedy writers and actors, <laughs> and, you know, and performers and writers, like for us, we're in this horrible transitionary phase where all the people who should be commissioning like adventurous new stuff are not taking any risks, and I know that extends beyond comedy, but it is particularly true for comedy, um, especially because I think British drama. At the moment, television is incredibly healthy and it's doing incredibly well. British comedy, there hasn't really been anything good for, I don't think, since about 2010. It didn't exist previously. Like, it's been. There's been a couple of things that have been okay. Like, what? Uh, I think. <laughs> <laughs> this is like where I have to like, put my own tastes on trial now. Um, but I mean, I think, I mean, British comedy, there's been a couple. I mean, most of the comedy I've liked has not been British, obviously. Yeah. Obviously. No, but that's the thing. I've been loving um, but, but I think, I mean, Cuckoo's alright, I think. Oh, I don't, to be fair, I haven't seen there it. You go. So there you go. I mean, it's Maybe. not, it's, I'm, I'm only Cuckoo. saying it's alright. I still have some it just problems with it. Turns into a Python sketch after a while going, well, apart from Cuckoo. Uncle. <laughs> like, and then get, yeah, and then the first series those. of Uncle is good. I wasn't that keen on I like the first series. But like this is the thing, like you shouldn't be able to have to sort of say yeah, I only like that little bit. But even bit. even with those things, like there are there in general there is a, a bit seems like, at least from the out, from very much the outside, there's a bit of a reticence to people wanting to make new comedy. Um, and it's it's a shame. And then uh, while it's great that everybody's going, right, we're gonna do it ourselves, they shouldn't have to. Like, no, I agree. It's, it's a real, yeah. it's a real pity, and I and I remember genuinely like and again, it's not something that I'm. It's a weird thing to start talking about because Tom and Felix are both sat here, <laughs> but but with wooden overcoats, like I mean, it's it's a fantastic. <laughs> no, 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 yes, yeah, so, so if you wouldn't mind, um, <laughs> but I just I, I remember being so incredibly impressed by that show, and as, as I'm really you know privileged to be writing on series two for that reason because I think it's just it's it, it's, it sounds so ready made for Radio Four, the fact that they had to make it that way is a real pity and like it's a, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a huge strength of the show that they've been able to make it independently and get who they want and get the writers they want and do it all their way but equally it's you listen to it and you think this could be like this, is, this could be Radio 4's comedy of the week and it's not because Radio 4 don't have it but why like that's it's it annoys me yeah, I mean, that, yeah, <laughs> probably I could just let it. I mean, it is annoying. I mean, yeah. it's an annoying uh, 
landscape out there for creative people but yeah. at the same time it's also a, a very um, exciting and inspiring time because yeah. like you say we're having to make it ourselves yeah that means we don't have anybody like it means that we have a new problem which is that there's no one telling us we can't do stuff so we can do anything that's yeah. a problem because uh, we might you know do the sorts of stuff we were talking about when we were younger of not knowing where the uh, where, where the line is and there's yeah. no one to sort of tell us no but at the same time it means that we can experiment in ways that have just not been done before. it feels that I, 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 I don't know how good a trade-off it is because I mean obviously <laughs> that creative freedom is great but it also feels like TV companies are going we don't have to bother they'll just do it They'll, they'll do it themselves. That's true. So we, we don't have to take the risk. And also, once it exists, they don't want to take it. That definitely yeah. seems to be the problem. Yeah. Once you have a thing, you build a thing, you go, hey, people, like, take this. They're like, yeah, I like that, but it already exists. People get it for free. Do something new. And yeah. like, it's like, what? I just don't. I've been doing a lot, a lot of pitching, unsuccessful pitching, so much of it for Radio 4 over the last sort of year or two. And... Because I've, I've done so much of it to the point that I've found out what their stock response is for when they turn something down. Uh, and their stock response is that they, are, they have something like it in development, they have something really similar that they've been working on at the moment. And most recent, when, we most, no, when we most recently pitched Hector versus the Future, we had that back. And that was just so silly because we thought, for any other idea pitched, maybe, but there is no way. Like, for better or worse, whatever the ultimate quality of Hector versus the Future is, you don't have anything like that, show. Right. Like, it's, it's batshit and mental. And if you do, we've gone like, we didn't take it because it's a fucking weird idea. Yeah. If they said, fine, we don't like <laughs> this idea. Yeah, this idea is not viable and stupid. Yeah. Okay, I'll take that. But, um, but it just makes you realise that people just aren't giving you, and I'm closing you off at the... At the first game, quite a lot. Maybe it's just me. Maybe everybody else is doing fine. No, it's not. It's, it's not just you. Yeah. It's also me. But yeah, to uh, us. Here we are. Us, uh, having that kind of uh, re- re- relationship with that stuff. Yeah. I mean, you are doing. You are doing some stuff that uh, that is. You, you are getting paid to write them. So yeah. Not by Radio Four. No, but it, it, it took it. It took as long as it has to get there. It's taken a lot of doing my own stuff and working for free and just making my own stuff for, for nearly a decade to, to get to that point. Um, it just feels like we're a very far cry from... It's, it's, the, it's well, I'm going to say apocryphal, but it is true, the Monty Python thing of when they got... Uh, I mean, nobody expects this level of creative freedom now, but when they had that first series commission, you yeah, know, it's yeah. like when they, they go into the BBC and have the meeting, and they go, what's it called? I don't know. What's it going to be about? I don't know. I haven't really written it. Okay, you can have 13 episodes. But like, <laughs> <laughs> that's, I know, that's amazing. But no, and they were like, no more. That's just, yeah, so I mean, that was obviously a particular time and place, but um, yeah, there's just, there's nothing like that now. And so the internet's, <laughs> yeah, it's that double-edged sword of the internet, really, and it's, it's been both a saviour for creative people, and it's also, I think, been, it's also responsible for the fact that people aren't willing to take creative risks anymore, and, why the industry as a whole is kind of weaker, I think. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that there's de- it's definitely, I would agree, it's a double-edged sword. Mm-hmm. I'm quite 
uh, in some ways excited to see what happens outside of those networks, though, since those networks have now become so stale. Yeah. Like, if those, ne- if those networks are still producing Monty Python, yeah. like, I think like, things like that, then fine. It's the um, creativity I'd want to be on a, a better place than it ever was. Like, there's more stuff, and there's a hugely creative original stuff, and all of that's great. I don't think creativity is the problem, it's just that there's no, nobody buying it. No. The industry as a, as a, as a money making thing just doesn't, as, as, is dying a bit. And it will come back, but maybe at some point. I mean, point, who knows? I mean, it, all industries are kind of dying. I mean, <laughs> you know, it's taken a while for the creative industries to really get to this point. You know, yeah. really, you know, when we look at other industries, we should probably, you know, again be aware that we're more privileged than we yes, are. Yes, exactly. Like, but at the same time, we yeah. are still wrong. In fact, we're able right. to do stuff. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I'm going to take this out uh, off the mic stand because I'm going to go and check the time uh, on my mic recorder. Oh, uh, this is the Excellent thing. Just seeing what the time is. I have uh, always. It's always that time on the clock. Whenever I check, sort of like this internal. How long have we got? Well, I don't. I, I don't like to tell my guests where we're at. Uh, so I, I always say, "Oh yeah, it's all right." It's all right. right. Okay. Um, but at this point, I was going to. I was going to say. I mean, since I've got four people in the audience mm-hmm. uh, who all know you. Yeah. Uh, is there any questions that the audience would like to ask James? Oh, that's terrifying. That's terrifying. Uh, yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah, one over there. Uh, if you could uh, speak into the microphone. I'd like to ask this because I don't know the answer to this for myself. Mm-hmm. But what would you like to be doing in 10 years in your kind of... The, the best balance that you've got between a believable and totally idealistic <laughs> 10 years from now, what would you like to be doing? Um, I would... I, I think this, this is probably the same ambition that I've had for, for a long time, just like I'd like to be running my own show like be that kind of I, I, I love the idea the unrealistic version of it is that all my favourite stuff that I'm watching at the moment is uh, adult animation it's stuff like Rick and Morty and Bojack Horseman and um, Bob's Burgers and um, like all sorts of shows like that which I, which I completely adore and there's, there's nothing like that being made in this country at all and every attempt to do it has failed so I don't know what the solution is um, but those are, those are the shows I love you the most. might be the solution I might be the solution it's all but failed until me until yeah I single handedly do that but um, I suppose I would like to I'd like to run my own show and the nice thing about the way casual violence ended up coming together like it didn't it didn't start as the benevolent dictatorship it became uh, but um, we, it, it Kazuman started because I, I was writing stuff and was looking for actors and then we had like a pool of about 10 people and then it filtered and more people were writing stuff and then it kind of filtered down and none of the others wanted to write and I really wanted to be a writer and it just sort of ended up that way. So Casual Violence has been my pet project, me being a showrunner thing for as long as it's existed and... I like having that level of creative control, <laughs> and um, and that's why I, I quite like doing the independent stuff that I do, um, and I like taking and what's been really rewarding about doing particularly Hector versus the Future is taking an idea that kind of started there and really drawing the series potential out of it. And as an experiment, it's it's too early to say whether it's paid off, but I feel like it, I feel like it will, and I'm quite excited by that. So I, that's that's the kind of thing I'd like to be doing in ten years' time. If I had a show of my own in whatever capacity, ideally something that would run for more than six episodes, um, something like that. I, I used to be really into British sitcom as a thing, but 
the stuff that I'm enjoying the most isn't live action British sitcom and maybe maybe you know I said I didn't watch Cuckoo I didn't watch All of Uncle and maybe I'm just not watching the right things um, but those kinds of shows things that are a bit more long running like things like even not uh, animation necessarily you know Parks and Recreation is is the greatest sitcom I've ever seen apart from the first series <laughs> apart from the first series yeah fair enough um, <laughs> Hannah who's in the audience I've got, I've got you to start watching it I, I, there's basically the episode where um Ben and Chris turn up is where I got you to start watching because it. it's like okay so from this point it's just constant amazing um, and then I think you ended up going back and watching it after you yeah. fallen in love with it and I think in that context that's that's fine <laughs> <laughs> sorry to, to curate your viewing um, but uh, so those sorts of things so those so those sorts of shows or or something that allow me that kind of creative control that's the kind of thing I'd like to do but I do worry whether the facility to make that exists here, and I'm not entirely sure how I'd even go about going getting it elsewhere, so I don't really know what this, how to get what I'd like in 10 years' time, but I'm trying to work that out. Well, I mean, that's a, it's a good place to be heading for. I mean, that's what I, I'd like to be a showrunner in TV as well, um, but probably drama. Yeah. Um, but you know, who knows? Maybe in 10 <laughs> years, uh, we'll both be in those positions, although. You know, we're both white men. Uh, it would probably be better if it was other people. Um, but yeah, um, the other th- uh, three members of the audience. Uh, how, oh, yeah, one over there. See, it's the people who don't know me as well. The other two. Just There's nothing. Anything that I don't already well, know. I, I, I thought the people who know you the best might have. You know, they might have questions. Don't, don't write them off yet. <laughs> yeah. Uh, first off, I didn't know that story. I'm really sorry about the whole overdose thing. <laughs> this is the first time I've heard about this. Which, which bit about the, the, that you had this, the whole idea, uh, like, millennia. Yeah. <laughs> Christ, yeah. you must hate us. No, no, not at all. Like, I, um, I love you guys. Like, I, I, um, <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's one of those things where it just sounds... I just find it quite funny. I find it funny that it sounds like we're, we've, we've quite heavily ripped you off. <laughs> uh, I don't mind that. I find that amusing. Anyway, sorry. So, uh, my question was, um, have you ever played that game of if I couldn't do this, what would be my, my backup ambition? Do you have a secondary ambition that you've just gone, I'm not exploring that because I'm going to be a comedy writer, and then what is it? No. <laughs> um, I, there's something I've thought about quite. A, like, I've thought about that that notion quite a lot. I haven't. I don't think I've ever had a backup ambition. I think I've been quite resolute in the idea that being at the very least being a writer and you know comedy is what I'm best at. So I'm a comedy writer, like that is always what I was going to do and always what I wanted to do. And I feel like. For, for better or worse, and maybe it's, it's again, it's, it's, it's sort of the, it's the privilege coming into it, and maybe that's what's fostered this mentality in me. But I feel like if you, I feel like I'll get it if I if I work hard enough, mm. and however long that takes. And so I've, I feel like I've, ne- I've never had a backup ambition because, to me, in a way, that kind of feels like. Yeah, having having an exit, having giving up, and I don't want an exit. I just want to be doing the thing I want to be doing. I don't want to end up. There's nothing else I want to do, and so I, I feel like that's that's it's it's that or nothing. So so keep pushing for however long it takes until 
until it happens. Oh, that's the curse. There isn't it. That is the curse. The only yeah, thing I want to do. That's either going to make me or break me. Absolutely, but that is. But I've, I've, yeah, never had a backup, and I've had I've been <laughs> in situations, especially funnily enough, of course, with family where they go, they kind of they try and gently. In fact, not my not my parents particularly, but I think my sister at one point was kind of trying to gently encourage me to consider a backup plan <laughs> at the very least. Um, but I was always kind of the mentality, even when I was in a much less comfortable place with it and I wasn't earning very much money and things were, were quite tight, that if I, yeah, if, if I dedicate enough time to it and put the hours in and keep going, I will get at least close to where I want to go. So, yeah, no backup. I feel like you're really on trial tonight. Yeah, I quite like that. That's a complete quote. I mean, trial. I mean, we've got like, the last two members of the audience are basically uh, your writing partner and your partner. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, do either of you have a question that you would like to publicly put to James? I really don't. <laughs> no, they know too much already. Yeah, they know you too well. They don't want to know the answers to the questions. Well, I mean, maybe, they don't know the answers to Maybe it signifies that you're very honest to those people yeah. and that there's, there's nothing that they can find that, that you haven't got. Yeah, I mean, about school, though. Nobody's school days. That's yeah. Fair. yeah, fair enough. Did you know about yeah, that's, I guess that's a question for you guys. Whoa. Oh, shit. Oh, no. Well, no. that's no. not. <laughs> It may save it, but it has got the backup on here, uh, so that is fine. And in <laughs> fact, that backup will pick up the audience much better. Um, so, uh, yeah, uh, I'm gonna, time, yeah, I'm going to pretend that didn't happen and hope for the best. Uh, <laughs> but at least this bit will be recorded. Uh, this is what happens when you get creative and uh, sort of like, yeah, get creative. Uh, yes. So, uh, do I, like, so yeah. What I mean, did, so you were saying that you learned stuff about about James today, which you weren't expecting to when you were when you were coming up, right? Yes. <laughs> uh, I learned about his school days and working with, with Jesus, isn't it? It's the name of yeah, who, yeah, yeah. Well, it's because he, he's pale and has long brown hair and looks like looks like Jesus. Yeah. So that was his nickname. See, I've only really known Jesus as like, oh, this is my friend Jesus who drums in a death metal band. I'm yeah. Like, I'm like cool. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I've uh, known him as. Is the Huntross prototype? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's a harsh thing. That's a harsh moment. That's true, actually. That's, yeah, it's more yeah. harsh for him uh, rather than you. Yeah. If only, if only you are the upgrade. You, you actually would be in a metal band. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You actually put words to paper, which is genuinely more than he ever did. So. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and did you learn anything about your, your boyfriend? Tonight? I did. <laughs> I d- yeah, I didn't know about the competition or about your teacher telling you that you should probably do this. That's quite cool. Yeah, he, he I kind of, um, it's the same guy who, funnily enough, like, funnily enough, appropriately enough, it's the same guy who made the the jacket for the Hector character, which is the one we use in our live shows, where he's got a, like, it's a suit jacket with a gold turnkey sticking out of his chest. So it's a teacher I kept in touch with and a teacher who kept supporting casual violence and everything. So it's the yeah, same guy who made Hector's turnkey and made therefore helped make that sketch and therefore what I'm doing now is the same guy. So Does it make you feel really proud to be like, he saw something in me and now I'm 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 doing it. I'm doing what he thought I could. No, I don't generally <laughs> feel proud of no, what I'm true. doing. I, don't I generally just tend to stress about the next thing. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's an interesting thing, though, isn't it? So you don't, so you, so you don't feel proud of much of what you do, you're doing. You always, it's always the next, 
the next hurdle yeah, to Yeah, it's partly practice. that, and partly because I, I, yeah, it's always partly onto the next thing. Like one of, one of Kazravans has a, has a running joke from whenever we got, like from when we got a good review in Edinburgh, which was that James Hamilton would allow himself to be happy for 30 minutes, then normal service will resume. <laughs> and it's, it's, yeah, because like that, that moment is obviously nice and a little bit of validation is great, but then you just end up concentrating what you have to do next and everything, I, don't, I suppose I don't feel a particular pride in what I do because I don't feel a particular sense of achievement because everything feels like a, a step in a direction and nothing I've done feels like an end goal. And so every, uh, while, I, while I'm pleased with how work has turned out and I look back on certain shows I've done, like my, like my last live show, for example, I'm, I'm really pleased with. I think it's, I, like, I really like it as a show. I don't, I feel like having like, that kind of pride in it and kind of going, yeah, you know what, that was great, I nailed it. Makes me go, well, then I might as well not do that anymore. Like, it's, it's, it feels counterproductive to, to linger on the pride. I, I mean, I, I know a few people who feel that way, I, I, and you know, I, I respect their artistry generally. So maybe that's a good sign. Uh, I, I do manage to occasionally take pride in in things I've done. Mm. Uh, it doesn't last long. Yeah, but that's it's it. probably a bit longer than yours. I, I suppose it's not, it's, not that, it's, it's not that I haven't done work that I'm proud of, but then I. But then even that stuff, it shows me from a couple of years back, I think, well, there's, there's stuff I really liked, I really, I'm really pleased with that show, but I, you just move on and you don't kind of linger on it and you think, well, what, what I did in the past doesn't matter anymore. Like, um, what, you know, what I have achieved in the past or what I've got is irrelevant because it's already happened. It's, it's there, it doesn't actually exist anymore. Like what exists is 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 what's ahead, and that's sort of a, a cycle that can't be broken in that way. Because once it's done, it's done. But I feel like I'm always trying to work to achieve whatever the next thing is, and then once it's done, we just continue. But I think that's because I feel like it's always a step towards whatever the mystical end goal is. Maybe being a showrunner on a show, like I don't know. Yeah. But that's okay. I don't mind. It doesn't bother me. I think actually it bothers Hannah a lot more. <laughs> Because you generally tend to get annoyed with me that I... I just want you to take a moment to just be like, this is great, I've done a really great thing, and then move on to the next thing. But you don't seem to want to take that moment. You want to be like, yeah. next thing, next thing, next thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that's because... That's <laughs> yeah, because uh, <laughs> yeah, I wish I had the microphone by you, but that's, that's just, <laughs> just, just because the next thing is, is more important. Which I know is stupid. <laughs> <laughs> and, and illogical. But that is that's kind of how I end up feeling. So I mean, I guess in in terms of this weird uh, construct of a trial that I've decided to create around <laughs> this particular conversation, it feels like you know when we put you on trial, we found that you know you you are pretty privileged in lots of ways, and yet still dissatisfied fundamentally. Oh God, self. what an artist! Yeah. It's been, a, it's been a pleasure uh, discovering that about you tonight, uh, James. Um, and yeah, the last thing I asked my guests to do, uh, well, no, uh, first of all, yeah, do you have anything to plug? So do I? Come to some of it, but Facebook loves me. Oh God, fucking Facebook. Um, so I suppose the only real thing to plug at the moment, actually, I hope the only thing to plug at the moment, actually, is Hector versus the Future, 
Uh, when would this be coming out? When, what, uh, what, uh, what should I be plugging in relation to Hectorverse in the will, future? Or, it will almost definitely be coming out next Wednesday, whether or not it involves me having to piece together two bits of audio from different microphones. Depends really <laughs> on how that microphone fared when I dropped oh, it on right. the floor. Well, Hectorverse, we're, we're doing the live reports. <laughs> but, it, but it should be coming out next Wednesday okay. regardless. I'm hoping it will be effortless. Sure. Well, it's not like that soon. Then we can plug the live recordings of Hectorverse in the future. Uh, we've got three more to go. One's on the 16th of May, one's I think 13th of June, and one's the 27th of June. Uh, I think I've got that right. Yeah. It's been, <laughs> been fact-checked uh, so, we so we're doing the last few recordings of those for episodes three through seven. Got it right? Yeah, so those are the, those are the recording dates. Those are all going to be at the Accepted Theatre in Camden. Uh, so we're doing three and four in May, and then five and six together uh, on the 13th of June, and then the final episode. 27th. Um, and if you miss all of those recordings, and this is probably counteractive to plugging coming to the recordings, um, it obviously is going to be released as a podcast. But yeah. I have no idea how it's going to sound yet, so come to the recordings and laugh for us, please. And, and I mean, you know, it's a different experience watching oh, yeah, something than listening, yeah. to, listening to something anyway, so I mean, people should do both. As we discovered last month, it's a lot warmer if you, <laughs> if you come to the live recordings. So, yeah. And so, yeah, the last thing I ask my guests to do is to say goodbye to the audience. When I do a live show, that's a kind of different proposition because there's an actual oh, audience fine. and there's an at-home audience. So, goodbye, goodbye Tom. Tom. <laughs> goodbye, James. Goodbye, Hannah. Goodbye, James. Goodbye, James. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> and goodbye, everybody at home. Goodbye, everybody at home. All of them. <laughs> Bye. And thanks for having me, Dick. Oh, my pleasure. <laughs> To find out more about my solo show, go to www.mansplainingmasculinity.co.uk and to find out more about Stand Up Tragedy, and we've just announced some previews happening in July, so we've got some live shows coming up, go to www.standuptragedy.co.uk. You can support Getting Better Acquainted financially by donating online. There's a PayPal button on the SoundCloud page. You can follow Getting Better Acquainted on Twitter at GBA Podcast. You can like Getting Better Acquainted on Facebook. Follow me personally on Twitter at GooseFat101. And remember, there are lots of ways to get better acquainted. If you're a regular listener to Getting Better Acquainted, then you may have heard the name Matt Hill pop up quite a lot of times in the years since the show's been going. He's a really old friend of mine, and he's a reason that a lot of people who've been guests on the show have known me. So when I've asked them, how do you know me? They've often said, through Matt Hill. And yet, Matt, in all the years of me doing this show, has always said he'd rather not do the show, rather not sit down with me and do a conversation. Recently, Matt finally agreed to come on Getting Better Acquainted, but he had a requirement before he would come on, and that is for Spark True Storytelling to meet our target in the fundraising we are doing to raise money for Refuge Aid, which is a charity working with refugees. Now, you can donate to that fundraiser over on www 
stories.co.uk which is Sparks website if you've ever wanted to get better acquainted with Matt Hill and he is a podcaster of some renown but at the same time he's very rarely in front of the microphone then support that very very worthy cause and if you don't know who Matt Hill is you should still donate some money because refugees are people the same as us and they need our support our governments certainly aren't giving that support so we need to do what we can to help them ourselves